Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Case in point, take a listen to author and columnist Max Boot, who I will say I've known for years and found before to be a thoughtful guy. He claims to still be a principled conservative, but listen. I devoutly hope that every single Republican running for election next November loses because we cannot count on this Republican Party to hold the Donald Trumps of, of, of the world accountable. Uh, they have just shown that they have no willingness to uphold the Constitution and their oaths of office. So the only way we're going to get accountability in, the, in, in Washington is by electing Democrats. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, these never Trumpers may be even more hysterical than Democrats now. Joining us now to analyze is Howard Kurtz, the host of Media Buzz, airing Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Fox News channel. Howard, thanks for being here. What do you make of the increasing rhetoric, anti Trump rhetoric, from never Trumpers? Well, I get that Max Boot and Steve Schmidt and George Will, who I've respected for years, uh, are upset because they think that President Trump has ruined their vision of the GOP. But it's a bit hard to grasp how they are now openly rooting for Democrats, given that they've spent their whole careers opposing them as the party of big government, big spending, mm -hmm. weak foreign policy. And it's hard not to notice, I'm not saying this is their motivation, but it's hard not to notice that these defections uh, bring them favorable publicity, MSNBC mm. contracts, and new respect from the left. <laughs> Laura has said, you know, part of this, the, part of the motivation is sort of this elitist, snobbish sense that they know what the Republican Party ought be, and now they don't have the seat at the table, so they're turning the table over. Uh, and again, as I said, I've known Max Boot, smart, thoughtful guy and a lot of foreign policy stuff. But to see to say vote for Democrats, I, that's just a it, I can't add it up. <laughs> well, you know, I understand from their point of view, they're saying they, they still feel they're conservative and President Trump is taking the party in a different direction. That's fine. But when what troubles me in saying, you know, root for Democrats, what troubles me is some of the overheated rhetoric here. For example, in a column uh, just the other day, Max Boot uh, wrote that uh, the GOP has become a white nationalist party with a conservative fringe. And he's also compared it to post-war Germany and Japan needs to be destroyed so it can be rebuilt. And I think that betrays how much they hate this president. Yeah. But also, you know, the columns aren't having much impact on actual voters because, you know, you look at the numbers and Trump is enjoying a record. 90% approval among Republican voters. So yeah. they're in something of an echo chamber, I would say. Howard, I got Welcome to Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, we, I'm, I'm still having camera trouble here. Um, so if you're watching the live stream but you're not getting a picture, that's what's going on. I'm, I'm not able to get my camera to connect up so that you can actually see a picture. But I am sitting here, and we are doing a show. And today on the program, we have Lauren Enriquez of Human Coalition. She's joining First Hour to talk about this article from Essence Magazine. Um, they really are spreading a lot of lies about pregnancy resource centers. And this is in anticipation of the overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court. 
This just goes to show you how far ahead the liberals think and plan and strategize. There, we don't even have the name of the nominee that's expected to take the place of Anthony Kennedy after a lengthy and protracted and really nasty confirmation process. But they're already anticipating that a conservative-leaning court is going to find Roe v. Wade unconstitutional, which it is unconstitutional. And as the Supreme Court has made mistakes before and had to reverse itself, it will have to do so again if a conservative takes Anthony uh, Kennedy's place. So we're going to talk to her about that and so much more. And then in hour two, we have Missouri Attorney General Josh Hawley joining the show. He's going to be with us for a few minutes to talk about uh, his campaign for Senate. He's hoping to win the GOP nomination so that he can go up against Claire McCaskill in the general. And as we can't have an official position here on the program, um, we definitely can hear from the candidates. And we have reached out to Claire McCaskill and requested her presence here on the show um, to offer her counterweight to this argument. And we have interviewed uh, an, an, a couple, I believe, of the other candidates who are running against Josh Hawley. So uh, we're, we're definitely doing our best to get everyone on the program and give them an opportunity to share what they feel the best vision is for that Senate seat. Um, so that's that's the show for today. We're going to have uh, two guests and then a lot of discussion about the uh, how can we describe this? It's it's the strategy, non-strategy of the Democrats. Now, their idea uh, that's kind of taking form is that it's really not time for another woman. And I think that's unfortunate because they're really acknowledging the failure of Hillary Clinton and, and the damaging of the Democratic brand through her candidacy. But they're saying it's not time for another woman. Another black person will not do because, um, you know, they, they need a white guy to run against Donald Trump's white guyness. And I think we tried to play this clip. I'm going to try it one more time, Jason. It's Jason Johnson actually on MSNBC saying 2020 is not the year when Democrats run a woman or a black guy. It has to be a white guy. It's number three. Which OK, it sounds like we've got some corrupted audio there. Um, it basically in the clip, he, he, he says what I just shared there, but he goes about it in such a way that it's like this announcement of something that, that is normal. It is not normal for us to, as Americans consider political candidates based solely upon their demographics. It's also an indicator of something else that's missing from the democratic party. And that's their bench. Their bench is comprised largely of older white people. Now, is there something wrong with that? I certainly would not say so coming from the right-sided perspective. I, I think they should be looking at people who have the best ideas. Anyone who has new ideas, new innovative solutions, or people who are willing to acknowledge that some of the ideas from the past haven't been implemented properly or are not workable in an America that's comprised as it is today. The Democrats never do that. I mean, it's been since Bill Clinton that they've had anyone who's presented anything new. Barack Obama ran on hope and change, which is a nebulous kind of rallying cry around nothing. He didn't give hope to black Americans who experienced record unemployment rates and record uh, opportunities for them to have their jobs taken by illegal immigrants. He didn't change crime in inner cities. There was no hope for any kind of American unity under President Obama with his constant pivoting to race. And now here we are later. They, they're now looking at 2020 as they have to. They're looking beyond the midterms because anything can happen. Anything's possible, not just in politics, but in America at writ. These Democrats could easily win in the midterm. The midterm has traditionally been a time of shellacking for the party that is in power. 
but they could also lose. But they can't even focus on that because they have to make a big fake deal out of this Supreme Court nomination. And I don't mean they're making a big fake deal out of the Supreme Court nomination because it's there's something wrong with it. President Trump, as the duly elected commander in chief of the United States, has the responsibility to nominate a replacement for a Supreme Court justice that decides to retire. That's the fact. So why are we worried about or thinking about the validity of him making a choice? The second thing is that he would have, um, he, he should have a, he should have an expectation that President Trump would nominate someone that falls in line with the ideology that he's espoused on the campaign trail and since he's been the president. I mean, it's not a shock that he's going to nominate someone who's pro-life, someone who has a a clear thought process on what conservative voters want. So I I just find it interesting that it's such a brouhaha. And I get it. It has to, they have to gin up some kind of expectation going forward. They have to create this in the minds of voters. Look, this is catastrophic. It's terrible. And we saw some of that on the right during the Obama administration. And some of it was warranted and some of it wasn't. Um, we have been able to survive the intervening years after the implementation of Obamacare. And it has been a disaster for a number of families, couples who divorced and still live together. And they, didn't, they weren't divorcing because their marriage was over. They divorced because their health insurance had become completely unaffordable. And single living together was a better remedy for that. There are couples who lost everything, went into bankruptcy because of the inability to cover the increased costs under their mandatory Obamacare premiums. There are others who simply paid the penalty. There are a lot of people who had negative stories coming out of the implementation of Obamacare. You probably would have a bunch of different left-leaning organizations who'd say, yeah, but I can tell you all kinds of stories about people who didn't have care before, and now they do because their pre-existing conditions are no longer able to be considered. There's a huge misunderstanding as to what exactly pre-existing conditions and ruling out of you getting health insurance afterwards, what that had to do with, um, you know, what, what that process was. But in the end, we survived. We lived. I definitely was upset by the passage of Obamacare. I was, I was definitely angered by the socialization of medicine here in this country. And I think it, just in my own personal anecdotal interactions with the medical world that I saw a, a degradation in the quality of care in some of the uh, office staff that, that I, I connected those two things together. Now, there's no, there's no proof. You know, anecdotal is just that. It's my experiences. I think the complete dismantlement of Obamacare is something that has to happen. I do see a reticence on the part of Republicans. I think what's most interesting to me is that they didn't immediately repeal all of the taxes associated with Obamacare. They left some of them in place. Why? Why would Republicans in control of all three parts of government leave any part of Obamacare alive and kicking? Why would any of them stand for that? So there there are huge issues with that. But the overarching language against President Trump appointing a new justice, doing really against him walking down the steps at the White House and walking across the lawn and getting on uh, Marine One, Anything he does, it's like apocalyptic. It's the end of the world. And it's getting tired. 
it's wearing thin and most Americans are tuning it out. So this is the uh, audio. Jason, thank you so much for, for getting it. It's the Jason Johnson 2020 is not the year where Democrats can run a woman. And I, I want to just point out to you that Jason Johnson is a black man. He's extraordinarily well-educated. He's on the left. And I just find it odd that he's allowed to say this on networks that really prize and prioritize demographics over everything else. It's number three. That way. Go ahead. <laughs> Jason. McAuliffe, Joe Biden. Those are the only real candidates that Democrats have if they're going to run against Donald Trump in 2020. This is a crucial election. We have seen what has happened in this country, how conversations and narratives have been transformed with him only being in office for 18 months. 2020 is not the year where the Democrats can run a woman and win. 2020 is not the year where Democrats can run a black person and win. They're going to have to run a white guy, and it's going to be a white guy who can connect with different Who says? I'm glad you said that. I did. Because it's true. Because it's true. Okay, (laughs) so that's Chris Matthews, right? It's this panel of men discussing how it can't be a woman. Um, It's a panel with, it's a mixed race panel. So, you know, they got that covered. So they can't be accused of, um, you know, racism because the guy who's saying that it can't be a black guy is a black guy. Um, So I guess they're covered there. But this is what the conversation has devolved into on the left. Not a discussion about ideas, not a discussion even about viability of candidates based on like, obviously, one of the things that that is a huge discussion when candidates are running is their age. And it has, you know, obviously, when Barack Obama ran, it was a big, you know, kind of raising up of the fists and cheering because Barack Obama was considered to be young to be running for the presidency and then to have won. And he was thought to be bringing these new ideas to the presidency because he was younger. And usually presidents tend to be on the older side. I mean, it takes a while to get to a place in your life where you've accomplished enough and have enough brain power and and knowledge and expertise to be qualified and then to actually have the wherewithal to run for the presidency. Now they're talking about Terry McAuliffe, who's not extraordinarily, you know, elderly, but definitely not the youngest guy around. And Joe Biden, who actually is an old guy. Now, I'm saying that because you, you guys know my motto is all the years above ground are good. If you're alive, you should be happy to be alive and not be as concerned about whether you're in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s or your 70s, unless you're talking about, you know, planning for hopefully slowing down your work life. Uh, but this I just I found that to be a stunning admission that really they have to run a white guy because in their minds, the only way they can win the presidency in 2020 is to get white people to vote for them and white people will only vote for a white guy after white people elected Barack Obama. Amazing. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Lauren Enriquez, PR manager for Human Coalition. Stay right there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki. From airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference coming up August 17th and 18th. The list of speakers is amazing. We have Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, Stacey Washington, 
Lonnie Poindexter, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and we'll be there too. There's a direct attack by the enemy on marriage and family, and babies in the womb are treated like political footballs instead of life. We want to encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. If we can get our families on track, a lot of society's problems could be solved. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is from Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know a man who, some years ago, began to withdraw from those he was close to. His excuse was that he was very busy. Now, his friends accepted this, but still they were a bit bewildered by his aloof treatment and what they saw as sort of an unhealthy isolation. Then it all came to light. It was discovered that their friend had been living a hidden, sinful life, and the real reason he withdrew from his friends was that he was afraid of being found out. There's an insecurity associated with an unrepentant life. This insecurity begins to grab you. A guilty conscience is a gift from God. When we feel guilty, we need to stop and say, is there a reason for this guilt? Perhaps we have done something wrong and God is getting our attention. We're tormented until we make things right. You can live with confidence and peace when there's nothing to hide. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, Solomon has a word for us. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. I think that there are three observations we can glean from this verse. One is that integrity should be our ambition and our guide. Integrity has to do with moral predictability, living out what's true about us, being open and honest and consistent in our lifestyle. Secondly, pure motives and character give weight and security to your life. He says, he who walks in integrity walks securely. Why? Because you don't have anything to hide. Then thirdly, if you're hiding, there is a reason to be nervous. You will be found out. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Honesty and integrity are the stuff of confidence and great freedom. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us today, and happy Friday to you. I hope you are getting ready for a restful and relaxing weekend. We have had a whirlwind of activity over at our place this past few days. And so you know how it is when you go into the valley and you've got bad news coming your way. You can have a couple of different things you can do. You can get upset, and you can kind of look around you and take your cues from what you can see with your eyes, or you can trust God stay in prayer and keep moving forward, which is walking in faith. And so we're choosing to do that in our family right now. And we are so glad uh, to have the opportunity to trust God in some areas that are currently not going according to what I would call my plan. But God is good. He's faithful. He's able. And we are grateful to have um, the opportunity to trust him yet again. And so right now, I'd like to welcome um, Lauren Enriquez, she's the PR manager for Human Coalition. She's also been published in the New York Times, The Stream, Live Action News, and many other places. Her Twitter handle is LN Enriquez, and she is fantastic. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on today. Oh, Stacy, it's always an honor. Thank you. 
thanks for coming on because this this particular topic I just I so I got invited to a conference call and I joined in and you were on the conference call as well and it was a number of leaders and uh, you know media types and just like everyone you can think of all joined together to try to strategize on what's going on here with this essence article. And mm-hmm. I, I call it a shot over the bow. The left always plans light years in advance. They're so good at organization and kind of trying to turn the needle before the needle even knows it's about to go in any direction. And mm-hmm. this is no different. Essence has joined together with the organized left and the pro-abortion crowd in America to try to demonize pregnancy resource centers, which are really the backbone of the pro-life movement and the primary vehicle for helping women who are abortion minded or are pregnant or need STD testing or mammograms or really anything having to do with women's reproductive health for, for populations that don't have access to a primary care physician and the attack by essence. It's not a, a, a isolated thing. It's not something that should be ignored. It's actually their first shot across the bow in my opinion, and it deserves to be met with equal truthful force. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head when you said that this was planned ahead. Um, This strategy actually goes back over 10 years. 10 years ago in 2008, NARAL Pro-Choice America and another large pro-abortion organization got together and developed something called the Urban Initiative. And the goal of that initiative was basically to remove the competition of pro-life pregnancy centers from the urban areas that the abortion industry likes to have a monopoly over. And so uh, they got together in 2009 at a summit. They came up with this idea of um, basically introducing these municipal pieces of legislation to start chipping away at the free speech rights and abilities of pregnancy centers to serve local communities, especially these urban communities where um, minority low-income women needed them most. Those uh, efforts eventually made it to the state of California, where they eventually were adopted as a state law, and that is the state law that was just overturned by the Supreme Court last week. And so you've seen this um, effort to take down pregnancy centers resurface over the years, um, but now they are full force, and the strategy uh, to discredit pregnancy centers is really ramping up because they recognize that the pro-life movement is winning. And when it comes to profit in the multi-billion, with a B, industry of the the abortion movement, uh, you better believe that they're uh, going to mobilize when their profit is threatened. And this is is really pitting the abortion side because I want people to really understand this because I know some some people may say oh you you know with that victory in the Supreme Court last week and the impending you know hopefully confirmation of a pro-life Supreme Court justice is this something we really need to worry about but we're talking about something that this is your wheelhouse this is your professional life's work which is public relations and we often lose the war because we're so quiet as we go about doing mm-hmm. this work that so many millions of women who silently access these services and are so grateful for them. It's not like we have these huge shout your pro-life uh, experience campaigns. They have shout your abortion. We don't have, uh, you know, huge rallies where all of the media comes and actually interviews women afterwards and touches these women to say, look, you know, we, what what happened what, why do you support pregnancy resource centers? And then they do this huge human interest expose. We don't have mm-hmm. that on our side. We don't have the media. We just have to do the work and hope that the millions of women who've been helped will use word of mouth to spread the word. 
But this article by Essence, is the, the title is Fake Pregnancy Centers Popping Up Across the Country Pose a Serious Threat to Black Mothers. What are they trying to do here? What they're trying to do is totally invert the truth and reality. And that's always been their bread and butter. That is why they are so embedded with the mainstream media. They rely on a public narrative promoted by the mainstream media to tout the lie that they help women. The reality is that it's the pro-life movement that is addressing the real crises in pregnant women's lives. And so this Essence article is really, uh, to me, it is a sign of their total desperation and fear because all they have left is their narrative, is using these made-up euphemisms like fake clinic and targeting black mothers. They're, they're almost unconsciously describing what they are doing but attributing it to somebody else. And so the pro-life movement has to stand up, don't play defense, play offense, speak the truth. The truth is on your side. Um, and, and really let the other side know, we see what you're doing. It's not going to work. We're going to continue to defend black mothers and provide them with the resources that they need. Uh, and I think if we really do speak out like that and, and stand up for what we believe and, and don't try to uphold some false status quo about being pro-choice, um, that will make the other side crumble because, like I said, this PR strategy and these communications tools are literally the only thing that they have left. Mm. So the the one thing you said that I want to reiterate, and I've, I've said it here on the program before, but it can never be said too much, is that with the abortion industry, their main bread and butter is saying the things that they do and attributing those things that they actually do to their enemies. So they say they do mammograms. They don't. Pregnancy Resource Centers do. They say that they are, are just as open to a woman, um, you know, going through with her pregnancy and having the baby and giving her prenatal care as they are helping a woman have an abortion. That's not true. Pregnancy Resource Centers will even counsel you after the abortion. They'll help you after you've had an abortion. They'll give you STD testing and mammograms, and they'll still work with you and treat you as a client, even if you choose to have an abortion after seeing them. Planned Parenthood doesn't have that same kind of, you know, either or philosophy. It's your choice. They really press you to have an abortion. And if you decide not to, they kind of cut you loose and say, well, there are other people who can help you with anything else you need. Their primary reason for existing is to help women have abortions. So when we talk about not being on defense, being on offense, what what are some things you would suggest pro-life minded, especially women, but Americans, because men are so negatively impacted by abortion as well, what would you suggest that they do? Is it that we need to win on social media or should we focus our efforts on giving more money to pregnancy resource centers or donating our time or, or actual supplies? What are you recommending? All of the above. I think the main, the main issue that I see personally is that pro-lifers are really concerned with um, this perception that there will be backlash uh, if they identify themselves publicly as pro-lifers. The reality is that their opinion is shared by the majority of Americans. So they have to stop letting the left own the narrative that the abortion question is settled and that anyone who opposes Roe v. Wade is some sort of a, an outlier because the opposite is actually true. The, the financial question is a big one that you brought up. The abortion industry, like I said, is a multi-billion dollar industry. 
Meanwhile, the entire pro-life movement, which, by the way, is winning slowly, uh, the entire pro-life movement has about in the ballpark of $700 million total budget every year. Um, by contrast, Planned Parenthood, which is only one abortion business in the United States, has an annual budget of over a billion dollars a year. So one abortion business is about twice the size of the entire pro-life movement. So we need to pray for an end to abortion. We need to pray for the women who are considering abortion. And we also need to make our opinions known publicly. And we need to show that by by uh, reflecting it with our pocketbook. We need to support the pro-life movement so that we can really take this across the finish line. If Christians stood up and identified themselves as pro-life and their giving reflected where their heart was on abortion, we really would end abortion very quickly. And not just making it illegal, but making it unthinkable. We would change the culture. And so those two things have to happen at the same time. Okay, brilliantly explained. And I, I'm, I can't stress it enough that what, what, so 10, 15 years ago, I was pro-life, but I really felt like it was something that was extremely unpopular. And as I began to talk to women individually, where a woman would say to me, you know, oh, that, you know, that's, that's something that has to do with abortion. And then, you know, there's that uncomfortable silence afterwards. Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> you're thinking, should I say anything more or like, what do I do? And what usually ends up happening is if you say something more like, yeah, I really think um, I think abortion's pretty horrible and I can't believe that's something we actually pay for with our tax dollars. You, there's only two responses after that. The person immediately goes ham and starts almost yelling at you in your face. You can feel the spittle. Tax dollars don't fund abortion. And you know at that point they're an activist. Or the other reaction, which I find is the, the overwhelming majority of reactions that I get, which is, it's a shame, isn't it? I don't know anyone who really supports abortion. I mean, and that's just, you know, the lowest of tones, very, very measured. It's almost like each person is gingerly touching the other one with a toothpick, like, will you explode? Or like, are you, are you normal? So the fact is, yes. but the polling that they quote is so false. So, so it's absolute lies when they say 70% of Republican women support abortion and want Roe v. Wade to stay legal and 90% of Democrats want it. Yeah, a a bunch of Democrats want to see it stay legal, but when you ask them what their personal preference is, would you have an abortion or do you support abortion? They always say no. So the polls are largely just made up to shape public opinion on this. And the other thing I want to say is, you know, you, you, you spoke about praying and as Christians, you know, we're, we're going to have to account for every word, every action, every deed. And I encourage people to kind of put that kingdom perspective that you're storing up your treasure in heaven. And more than that, that you want to be found doing works that will be pleasing to God when he returns and just say, well, how can I make that happen? It might be that you are the first time go around like I did. I just gave a hundred dollars to our, our pregnancy resource center. And I got the nicest note back with the scripture on it, handwritten by the director of the, of the entire organization. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, she actually acknowledged my gift. And so I put that up on my little card bulletin board. And then the next time I had opportunity, I gave a little more. And now my husband and I have our giving to, to organizations like that is one of our primary, like, you know how you kind of, once you start giving, you start to like target your giving and then you get really excited about it. And so we are all yeah. as a family, very excited about, you know, supporting pregnancy resource centers, but it took time to get there. And the Lord changed our hearts 
individually and corporately as a family to get us to a place where we really, we don't just support it. We love it. We love being a part of it. And I just encourage people, if you, if you want to feel good um, and know that you're doing what God would call you to do, that, that you, of course, pray about it first. Your, your area might be another area that there are so many things we can give to, but it is such an amazing feeling to know that you're a part of it because we're all a part of the abortion funding. If you pay any taxes at all, you're a part of the abortion funding because they take it from you forcibly and then give it to Planned Parenthood regardless of what voters want. That's what we already have as our responsibility. So to try to offset that or to say, you know, Lord, this isn't, that's not what I want. I vote against it. I'm against it. I pray against it, but I'm also putting my money that I control. I'm giving a bit of it over here. And it doesn't matter if it's $100, if it's $20 a year, if it's, you would be amazed at how effective pregnancy resource centers are in directing funds and how little their overhead is. So, you know, I'm, I want to let you have the last minute here to close it out. Whatever you have left to say to the, the listeners, because to me, this is one of our primary works that we can do as Christians and as women and as Americans, as men, as daughters, sons, sisters, brothers, whatever. We, this is one of our primary concerns, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, for me, the reason that I've dedicated my life to this cause is because if the preborn child, the most innocent and defenseless human among us, doesn't have the right to life, how can I go and fight for anything else? Because what else matters if the preborn child doesn't have the right to life? If you don't have the right to be born and not violently killed before you even start exercising all the other amazing rights that we have as Americans, Um, then how are we supposed to make sure that our right to free speech and our Second Amendment right and all of our other rights and privileges can be exercised? And so for me, it's just a matter of priority. Let's address this glaring injustice in our midst so that we can ensure for our children and our children's children a future where they can continue to practice all the other rights that we have as Americans. And so uh, for me, it's just a very simple, like, hierarchy of priorities and I hope that I live to see the day when abortion is a thing of the past. It's relegated to the ash heap of history. And my grandchildren ask me, how was it possible that this happened in America, in a, in a civilized society? What was it like, Grandma, when abortion was part of your, your daily life as an American? And how did you end that? And how did we get to where we are today? I, I hope I live to see that day, and I think I will. Um, but I, I just encourage your listeners to con- continue to pray, pray hard, um, give, and don't be afraid to tell people that you're pro-life because the people who wouldn't identify as pro-life, we're not going to go down in history with a very good legacy for being unwilling to speak up on that. Amen. Uh, thank you. Lauren Enriquez, PR manager for Human Coalition, and Twitter is LN Enriquez that you guys can tweet her and and follow her on Twitter. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on today. Thank you, Stacey. All right. Talk to you again soon. We will be back with more after this. Stay there.
I just thank God for the Holy Ghost. If you will let him, he really will teach you all things. Have you ever made an excuse to someone why you were unable to do something or why you couldn't attend a certain event instead of just being honest and telling them you just were not interested? I think many of us have. Well, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 17 says, an honest witness tells the truth. A false witness tells lies. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 in one translation says, dishonesty in business disgusts the eternal. It disgusts God, but fair dealing delights him. False witness utters lies. Be faithful and consistent with being honest with others. Stop with the excuses and be truthful. There is freedom when our integrity and character reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ. What seems little to us are big to him. With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us more at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood, urbanfamilytalk.com. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, the pterosaurs were flying reptiles, but were they good flyers or not? Chris, it's hard to know because we've never seen one fly. We do see their skeletal remains and some of them were absolutely huge. How could they have flown? A scientific study of some of their skulls has given us some clues. That portion of the brain which integrates input from the different sensory organs was large in the pterosaurs, much larger than in other creatures. This gives us the impression that the creature was a good flyer. Of course, evolutionists propose that all these functions and organs came about by natural selection. What could have given some non-flying creature this ability? A much better idea is that God created these huge creatures as a monument to his creative ability and imagination. Today, we just sit back and marvel. And it's been that way ever since, back in Genesis. This is Chris O'Brien. Thanks for going back to Genesis. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. On the president's short list of potential Supreme Court nominees, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who has been on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals since 2006 and has the backing of both Breitbart and Ann Coulter. The 53-year-old Kavanaugh is a former law clerk to Justice Anthony Kennedy. Every case is a separation of powers case, and I believe that. Critics of Kavanaugh suggest he's been part of the establishment for too long. He helped investigate President Bill Clinton along with independent counsel Kenneth Starr, then served as a close aide to President George W. Bush. On health care and abortion, Kavanaugh has been criticized for being out of step with the majority of Americans. Last year, he sided with the Trump administration to block an abortion for a pregnant immigrant teenager. 
noting the government's permissible interest in favoring fetal life. Welcome to the program, everybody. It's here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We are glad to be with you today. I encourage you to go to StaceyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. And also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at StaceyOnTheRight. And go to UrbanFamilyTalk.com and sign up for our conference. That's August 17th and 18th, and we are so excited about it. Uh, so let's, let's unpack this a little bit. You have CNN doing profiles, and they were quick uh, kind of mashups. So they had a little bit of um, reporter content and some visuals of these individuals in varying situations. And what they're doing is they're profiling them, showcasing some of the most interesting parts about their uh, judicial careers. So cases that they've ruled on, cases that they were a part of, cases that they took an opinion that would be of interest to Americans. And so with Judge Brett Kavanaugh, the case that has the attention of leftists that pertains to him out of and he has a really uh, significant judicial background. But the case that seems to animate liberals is that he didn't feel like an, an illegal immigrant who was being detained in the United States had the right to an abortion. Now, here's the cake taker on this. They took that case to an appellate court that was friendly to the abortion side. The abortion side actually won that case at the appellate division. They forced the um, they forced the actual uh, agency, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, to give the illegal alien an abortion. So she got an abortion, and then afterwards, when her case was heard before the court, she was found to be in the country illegally and was deported. So basically, she came to the United States for a free abortion, and she got one. 16 years old, no parental consent involved because she was technically a minor. She's not here anymore, but we paid for her to have an abortion. I mean, and and what universe is that okay? Now, notice CNN didn't mention that she was later deported, and so the whole purpose of her being here uh, to have an abortion should have been something that angered all Americans. Why are we on the hook for the abortions of people who are in the country illegally? We shouldn't be on the hook for their children, their unborn children, or any abortions that they might want to have. It's absolutely ridiculous. But that's the case they chose to highlight in this CNN profile. So next, because they're, they're talking about the front runners, and according to CNN and word on the street, I mean, obviously, we got we to make sure we, we are we're, you know, complete here. Word on the street is that it's Judge Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Justice Raymond Kethledge, and Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Those are the three front runners. And those names have switched around just a tad. The announcement for who's going to actually get the nod will be made at 9 p.m. Eastern on Monday from the White House. Um, and, and, you know, so the, we know these things. We understand these things. Fantastic. But why would they choose to highlight that case? Well, I, I just I, that's my rationale as to why they highlighted it, because this entire confirmation process is going to be about one issue, abortion support by Democrats. That's going to be it. And Democrats who are Christians, you should really see this as one of those eye-opening moments. You know how sometimes we'll be trundling along and we think we're doing right, and then the Lord will allow us to have some wisdom, and we'll have one person say, hey, you know what? That's not the best choice. And we're like, mm, I don't know if I trust that person's judgment. I mean, they've been right in the past, but why are they telling me this right here, right now? I don't know if I trust this. And so the Lord will send confirmation to you where you can actually you know, judge for yourself. Hey, wait. 
not only is there that, but now I see all of this support. You know, I've read this article or there's this book that I'm reading and the subject comes up in the book and the book, really, I didn't think it was going to cover this. And then you get your third confirmation from somewhere else. Well, if you're, if you're a Democrat and you consider yourself to be pro-life and you're definitely a churchgoer and you, you read your Bible and you, you do all those things, the Democrats are about to show you how much of what they do is contingent upon their support of abortion. They've run so many pro-life Democrats out of the party. They've kicked them out of the process. They've put them down in the primaries. They've eliminated those people from the public eye representing the Democrats. And now they're about to make the appointment of a Supreme Court justice as if the only thing that Americans ever have to do in their lives is decide on a daily basis which of us are going to have abortions and which aren't, who's going to pay for it. That's going to be what they hinge their support of the next Supreme Court justice on. Not anything else, not judicial precedent on any other issue, just abortion. So then they, they profiled Raymond Kethledge. Now, again, I find these profiles to be interesting coming from all quarters. That's why I watch the ones on CNN, because I want to see what other people are saying about these justices. I have all these background information pieces that I found um, or have, have had friends send them over. And I'm like, wow, this is you know fascinating stuff. And so I've been reading up on them. And it's great reading, but not everyone has time for that. So if you're just catching the highlights, these CNN bits seem to be pretty equitable or do they let's listen to their profile on raymond kethledge december 6. judge raymond kethledge is 51 and the only evangelical christian of trump's top three nominees he also once clerked for justice anthony kennedy the university of michigan law school graduate has co-written a book on leadership called lead yourself first his co-author described him as authentic humble and down to earth Kethledge is a true conservative, once reportedly upholding a mandatory minimum sentence for a man who pleaded guilty to drug charges, even though Congress had reduced the mandatory minimum by the time the man was sentenced. So how does that make him a true conservative? Again, when you're listening to these things on the news, my encouragement to you is to just see if it passes the smell test. Does it make sense to you? They're characterizing an inability to have mercy on someone who pled guilty to a charge and is now eligible for a lighter sentence and him saying, no, you have to keep the heavier sentence, that that's a conservative principle. I don't know. It just sounds to me like that's what he wanted to do. Maybe he had precedent to support it. It's not conservatism that says that the guy didn't deserve a a little bit of a lighter sentence or a break because the law had changed. I I'm a conservative, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool right-winger, Bible-thumper, gun-toter, and I, had I been sitting in that courtroom, obviously not a judge, don't play one on TV, but if I were sitting there, I would have set up the whatever the current sentencing guidelines are should apply. He disagreed. He said whatever the guidelines were when you actually were convicted and, and pled guilty, that's what applies. That's not a conservative principle. That's a, a point of fact that... It, is hinging upon your viewing of what the law is, what the precedents are, and and your personal take on the entire matter. But that's how they want to paint conservatives, people who want people to stay in jail forever, regardless of what the circumstances are. Not true. So the last profile they did in this news piece was on Amy Coney Barrett. She's the only woman. And the reason I'm pointing this out to you is because, remember, CNN is the home of the demographic box. That should be their little motto that goes underneath. James Earl Jones should say, this is CNN. 
where demographics rule. He, this, this, this person who's doing this profile starts off by describing Amy Coney Barrett by how many children she has. Now, she's the only woman in amongst this group. Instead of saying, you know, first woman appointed to the Supreme Court since Sandra Day O'Connor, that would be an appropriate characterization of who she is or one of her other many accomplishments. They point out how many kids she has, and you can hear the derision in the voice of the person doing the, 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 the news item here. It's number seven. Justice Kennedy is 80. This could be a sea change. Amy Coney Barrett, the only female nominee Trump seems to be considering, is a former Notre Dame law professor. She is 46 and has seven children. She was recently appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals in Chicago for the 7th District and has clerked for Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. A New York Times profile explored Barrett's membership in a group called People of Praise, a Christian organization that the article said has lifelong loyalty oaths, requires submission to advisors of the same gender, and believes in prophecy. In 2006, Barrett told Notre Dame graduates that your legal career is but a means to an end, and that end is building the kingdom of God. When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. Despite Barrett's comment that she believed Roe v. Wade would not be overturned. I would have no interest in, as a court of appeals judge, challenging that precedent. New York Senator Chuck Schumer criticized Barrett on Twitter, calling her an activist judge who will be the deciding vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Three judges, three very different backgrounds, the nomination process awaits. So they give her some credit for being the, um, you know, for, for teaching at, at Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, the, but what in the world is the reason why they had to say, and she has, you know, seven children? Wow. So the question becomes for those of us who are Christians, we, we look at this, you know, the, obviously CNN's not the friendliest to Christians. They say they don't have any bias against Christians, but yet, you know, they, just listen to the content, look at the pundits that they invite on, look at, look, just take it in its entirety and you can tell it's not friendly to Christians. And when, when you're listening to that breakdown and it, well, she's, you know, 46 years old and the mother of seven children. I mean, I wonder how those people would feel if we, characterize the the news readers she's you know 37 and has no children that would be considered a very sexist and misogynistic comment especially if made by a man they got a woman to make it it doesn't make it any better it doesn't clean it up and the idea that that is something that is either a good thing for her or a bad thing for her Really, how does it bear anything what bearing does it have on her ability to adjudicate cases it doesn't appear to have changed anything or impacted her negatively at all. Now, what are we supposed to do as Christians? What is our primary goal on the earth? We're supposed to glorify God in everything that we do. We're supposed to make disciples of men. And we're supposed to work here as, as bond servants to Christ, being his hands and feet, 
to accomplish his goals and, and his will on the earth with an eye towards eternity. Because this is basically the, the shortest amount of time in the entirety of our existence as eternal beings. So for Amy Coney Barrett to characterize for, for these law students who are graduating from a Catholic university, Georgetown is a Catholic university, for her to elucidate what the Pope says and what so many other in church leadership say about the life of a good Christian, what they're called to do. We're not called to live as secularists during the week and only practice our faith on Sundays or whatever day Catholics go to mass. I'm not Catholic, but I know for a fact that all of all of my friends who are practicing Catholics, devout Christians, their chief aim is to glorify God in all that they do, whether they're stay-at-home moms or whether they're doctors or lawyers or investment bankers. That is their chief aim. So does that mean they walk around crossing themselves all day and, you know, blessing people and praying over people and constantly witnessing and proselytizing? No, that is the way the world wants you to think that looks so that they can minimize your effectiveness and stop you from doing what God has called you to do. A life lived for God is its own testimony. And that is what Amy Coney Barrett was speaking to. And the people who sat in that room and heard that speech from her and heard her admonishment to them, those that understand our role here on earth as Christians, completely understood what it was that she was talking about. And anyone else who doesn't understand it is taking it out of context and trying to twist it into a weapon to use against her. Now, it won't work. It's not going to work. But what is happening, which I think is probably the, the best unintended consequence, is that every time liberals try to highlight Amy Coney Barrett's faith and discuss it in a way that's derisive or otherizing, they cause people to be curious about what it is exactly this woman is about. And as she lives an upstanding life and she appears to truly devote herself to working out her faith day by day and step by step, she will only bring glory to God when people place her under scrutiny for closer examination. I would that the rest of us would take our faith that seriously and do the same. If we heard her words in that speech, secondhand admittedly, and decided to take them on for ourselves, we really couldn't do anything better, could we? Whether she's the next SCOTUS justice or not. We'll be back with our two right after this. 